They love the shouting part during the song. Let's open our Bibles today to Psalm 37. It's located on page 547 in your pew Bibles. Please rise with me. Psalm 37. And we will just read the first seven verses today. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for Your presence to be among us right now. Help to bring the words of Your Scriptures to our hearts. Make the Holy Spirit inside of us leap in excitement as we take in Your truths. Lord, we also ask right now for a special prayer upon Linda and Smith, Linda and John Smith, as they're both going through a crisis in their homes of health. We also ask for a special blessing and prayer and protection upon Sarah's friend's godson, little child who was involved with a car crash this past week. Please help them to heal and be with their family right now. Lord, be with us as we worship you through the proclamation of your word. In your name, amen. Please have a seat. There was a chicken and a pig, and they were out walking one day, as chicken and pigs often do. And they walked by a diner, and outside the diner they saw a sign advertising a $2.95 breakfast special, ham and eggs. And the chicken complained. He said, that's all the humans see us for is our contribution toward breakfast. And the pig says, for you, it's a contribution. For me, it's a total commitment. Do you get it? For the chicken, it's a contribution. For the pig, it's a commitment. Today, Psalm 37, is the verses we just read, challenge us in our walk by asking us to examine if we are a chicken or a pig. Do we just contribute to God's kingdom a little bit here, a little bit there? Or are we all in? Are we fully committed to the cause and the mission of Jesus Christ? Are we a chicken or a pig? That's all you're going to take out of this service. Pastor Justin, call me an animal. I don't like that. But if you look forward into Matthew chapter 16, you see a point in Jesus' ministry where he gets all his, calls all his disciples around him and says, take a knee. I got a hard pep talk for you. But for a minute, Jesus doesn't even say anything. He looks each one of them in the eye, one after the other, after the other, until he has their full, undivided attention. And then he speaks. He says, do you want to follow me? Do you really want to follow me? Then you're going to have to jump into the pool. You can't just dip your toes in to see if the temperature is agreeable. You can't 
your, your, your subscription, your trial period for Microsoft Jesus has ended, you're either going to have to pay or you're going to have to delete it from your computer. You hear what I'm saying? I'm all or nothing when it comes to you. You either have to be with me and commit or you have to quit. The more you try to truly hold on to the, those silly, non-essential things in your life, Peter, you know what I'm saying? James, those silly things, the status, the power, those things don't matter. The more you try to hold on to those things, the more you're going to lose what's really important, like your soul. And if you want to hold on to your soul, you're really going to have to commit to me. You're going to have to go all the way. You're going to have to make me your number one priority above everything else in your life. Do you think you can do that? Jesus doesn't do easy talks. And he gives us that same speech. Commit or quit. It's really the only two options you get when you are asked by Jesus to be his follower. There's no halfway here. You don't get to go half seas, partway, part-time, sometimes, once in a while, once in a blue moon, on Easter, on Christmas. That's not committing. That's trying Jesus out to see if he's agreeable. We are, either, we are either fully on board with Team Jesus or we're completely lost in the woods. And yet our very nature rebels against this idea of commitment. We don't like to commit. We like to try things. We like to see if they're palpable. We like to give a little bit of ourselves but not all the way because we want to hold some back for ourselves. We're in a whole world that devalues commitment. You look around. It's not just K-cups that are disposable, right? It's babies, marriages, friendships. The second they're hard and inconvenient, we toss them out. Because we as a society don't even know what commitment is anymore. We're all about ourselves. We're all about self-centered, selfish natures that say, whenever it's inconvenient to me, forget about it. I want to make myself comfortable. One year, Joy and I were driving back in Michigan. We were driving up to Mackinac Island, and we spotted a billboard. It was perhaps one of the best billboards I've ever seen for the armed forces. And this one was for the Marines. Sorry if you served in a different branch. I'm going to give the Marines a little bit of credit today. But I love this billboard. It said, the Marines, we don't accept applications only commitments. And I thought, that should be on the front of every Bible. We don't accept applications. Only commitments. I love that. The Marines don't want people who are going to show up to boot camp to try them out to see if they're going to like what it's all about. They want people who research, who know that this is a full lifetime commitment for them, and then go in 100%. They want people who will commit. Because if they don't, those people will quit. Well, Jesus calls us to commit not just in the New Testament, but he asks us to commit right here in Psalm 37. It puts it right out there when it says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. I think there's a really... a when you get past your fear of commitment, there's an attractive quality to people who say, you've got to commit. 
This is the high standard here. You've got to be all in. It's really attractive to see that. It makes some people strive really hard. Athletes know that. Soldiers know that. They have high standards. They, you know, Olympics are going on right now. Every single athlete that's participating in the Olympics didn't do so on a trial basis. They committed their lives to years, if not decades, of training to get to this week in their life, to where they're going up. Maybe it's just a moment of participation and competition. Their expectations are high. I used to have a team back in my old youth group. His name was Henry. He got to be taller than me when he was in the fourth grade. He's a very, very tall guy. And when he went to high school, Henry joined the football team. And so one Sunday I come into church, and Henry shows up, and he's wearing his football outfit, which is, I think you'd agree, an interesting attire for church. So I went up to him, I said, what's going on, man? You going to tackle me in the middle of the sermon? I need, you know, please give me some heads up. I need to know that. Well, he said, Pastor Justin, my coach told us that if we're going to commit to the team, each one of us on the team had to wear our uniform all weekend long. We had to show respect to it. We had to show the world that we're committed to our team. Well, some people made fun of him. I didn't. Because I saw that he was really all in on this concept. And of course, I brought it back to Jesus when we talked. Because that was no offense. That was just football. It's high school football. It's important for a moment. It's important to him. But over the long term, not nearly as important to your commitment to your Lord and Savior. So why is that? If we can commit that hard to a high school football team that we whine and we fidget when our king comes up to us and demands our all. Why do we give excuses? Why do we try to bargain with him and say, well, Jesus, come on. I went to church three times this month. Surely I can take a Sunday off. I did my devotions most of last week. I was nice to that one person. That gives me at least one bad moment, right? We try, we try to get that bargaining going on. We try to hope that if we do just enough in our walk with God, then God will let us off the hook to live the rest of our lives as we please. That we'll give God good 20% of our lives, but just give us the rest of the 80%. But that's not what he wants. Commit or quit. 100%. All in or nothing. That's the hard sell of Christianity. No wonder when Jesus put that out to all of his disciples, the Bible tells us many walked away. Many said, that's too much. I was on board for a little bit, but not all of it. And then God tells us what the cost is of fully committing to him. He doesn't, he doesn't give us a rainbow show. He says, hey, you commit to me, you're in for a lifetime of pain and suffering and trial. It's not going to be easy. At times, it's going to be so brutally hard that if I wasn't with you, you wouldn't make it all the way. That's what commitment will bring you. You wear Jesus around like a football uniform. People will notice that. Some people are going to mock you. Some people are going to hate you for it. But God goes on to say, that's the short term. The long term we'll make it all worthwhile. The long term is about this righteous reward that I have in store for you. This vindication that will make you ball up your fists and go, yes, 
that was worth every step of that journey I went on with God. As a pastor, I've had many couples come up to me and say, we want to get married. And I say, okay, if you want to get married, you have to go through three premarital counseling sessions with me. It's a time for me as a pastor to get to know you. It's also time for me to tell you about what marriage is. And I've, I've pretty much come up with what I consider to be the marriage talk. And a lot of it is disabusing this notion that marriages are all about romance and emotion. Because initially, it really feels like that. You fall in love with people, you get to your wedding day, it is just a heady, swirly moment, and it's all about you, and you're feeling it, and none of that is invalid. But what I tell them, I said, you know, you're going to hear enough about how beautiful the other person is, how it makes you feel in your heart. Let me tell you the other part of this. And so my talk is like this. It goes, hey guys, you're going to be all lovey-dovey today, but you've got some really hard days ahead of you. All the married people in the audience, or the congregation right now, shaking their head, yep. You're in for hard days, difficult days in your marriage. Days where love takes work and pain and self-sacrifice and humility, and you're going to be the one saying, I'm sorry, even though it's obvious the other person's wrong. It's going to be hard and brutal, and you're going to want to take the easy way out. You're going to want to take that marriage and say, this it's too much, it's disposable. But right here and right now, when you come into this altar and you stand not before me, you stand in front of the Lord, you are making a commitment to seeing it all the way through. Trusting that God has a plan for your relationship and your marriage so that even on the hardest of hard days, you trust that he has a plan and he will get you through that and he will be glorified through your relationship. They don't usually invite me back for their second marriage. But, that's what I wish had been said to me. I wish it had been said to everybody. We need to be upfront that commitment is not easy. That commitment is what pulls us through when the romance and the good feelings and the easy days of walking with God seem to vanish and all we have ahead of us is a rocky uphill path that's painful every step of the way. And we commit to that. Fortunately, in relationships, commitment isn't one-sided. Our commitment with God is also mirrored back when He commits to us. In fact, He commits to us first. That's what the Bible is, is God telling you, I have committed to you long before you ever were born. You ever even saw me? You ever even knew me? You ever even said those words, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior? I was committed to you. I knew your name. We are not to God a side project. We're not something that God does for five or ten minutes a night. How much time do you give God every day? I guarantee you, God gives you way more of his time, way more of his attention and his focus. He is focused on you. He is focused on the elect. He loves the elect. He bends history to benefit the elect and the church. The Bible backs us up on that. He says, it says we are always at the focal point of his love and his adoration. And in return, he asks us to commit to him. 
to reflect that commitment. We need to have a fully integrated life that doesn't just have Jesus as a side dish, as something we can sprinkle on our salad every now and then, something that is at the core of every relationship we have, every job we have, every activity we have, every hobby we have. Our waking thoughts are going to sleep. He is at the center. That's the commitment level that God asks for. And listen, I know it's hard. I'm right there with you. I have a hard time every day finding that time for devotions, finding that time to spend five minutes going through the Word and another five minutes praying because I'm always thinking there's jobs to do. There's tasks to be done. And I can put this off because, you know, it's just between me and God. This is the pastor speaking to you. I know it's hard. But God calls us to commit. And we, don't, we need to not give up on that. Well, if you struggle with commitment, just like I do, then Psalm 37 has three encouraging things that I want to pass on to you. Three encouraging truths that God shares to us. The first is that God does not get frustrated with our wavering commitment to Him because your commitment level does waver. He doesn't get so frustrated with you that He's just going to quit on you. In fact, Psalm 37, verse 28, promises you that the Lord will not forsake His faithful ones. He's all in on you for the long haul. He will not forsake you. The second truth that this psalm shares is that God is very experienced in working with imperfect, lazy, busy, stressed, and messy people. If that describes you, if you're nodding, going, yep, um, all of that and more, then realize that's Jesus and how he had to deal with busy, imperfect, messy people for three years that he called his disciples. That he led these men and these women around this whole country, teaching them, pouring his life into their lives, showing them how to live a godly life, showing them miracles and showing them truths. He poured himself into their lives, and at the end of three years, his 12 trained apostles, one of them stabbed him in the back, one of them denied that he even knew them, and all the rest of them ran away from him. And yet, Jesus did not give up on them. He doesn't give up on us. Psalm 37, and, all, and the whole psalm, if you read, and I encourage you to read it this week, it says that the Lord helps us, guides us, upholds us, and comes through for us daily. He doesn't give up on you just because your commitment tends to waver and you're messy and imperfect. And the third encouraging truth, and this is weird, but I want you to take it as the Bible says, committing to God actually makes your life happier and it gives you purpose. I think sometimes we delude ourselves that doing more things make us happy. Being more productive will give our lives more meaning and more purpose. We busy our lives up to the point where we're so stressed out, we're so at the end of our rope, and we think, well, if I do just one more thing, I will finally reach that purpose and that fulfillment and that satisfaction in my life I really want. And the Bible says, no, that's not how it is. You need to have Jesus at the center. And whether you have a packed life, a less packed life, it's a better life. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, 
and He will give you the desires of your heart. Wake up in the morning, take delight in Him, and He will in return give you the desires, the real desires, the things you really need. Not the things you think you want. What you really need, the desires of your heart. Joy, peace, patience. These are desires that we have deep down. God isn't asking you right now to stop everything you're doing in your life and become a monk. Some of us, I don't think we could pull off the wardrobe and the hairstyle anyways. Some of us have that hairstyle. I don't know. We're on our way. That's not what God's asking. He says he knows you're scattered all over the map. He says, instead, be unified. Pull all of the things you do in your life together and make that center around, revolve around, orbit around Jesus. So that everything you're doing ties into him in some way, shape, or form. You're frustrated with a boss or a teacher or a friend? Get down on your knees and pray for them. You're driving the kids everywhere like an unpaid chauffeur? Use some of that car time to pray with the kids. Talk about God with them. Or are you faced with a task or a job that you hate to do? That's all of us. Well, instead of doing it just to get it done with, before you start that task, you pray, God, I am going to do this for the best of my ability, for your glory. Every Thursday morning, standing appointment, you want to you see me do this? Come outside my window, throw a rock, and you're going to see me on Thursday morning, putting together the PowerPoint for the church service on Sunday. Out of all the tasks that I have during the week, is by far the most tedious. I do not look forward to Thursday mornings because of this task. I know the very first thing I'm going to do is get this over with, otherwise I will procrastinate and drag my feet. And I'll, I might even do devotions. I don't know. Because I, you know, I don't want to do the PowerPoint. And it got to the point where I realized that I was making it all about me all about my discomfort and how I didn't like to do this. And I thought, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says I can do all things for him and his glory, even this annoying, tedious PowerPoint. And so I started doing that. I had prayed before. I said, God, I want to do this for you. It's a small thing, but I want to do it for your glory. I want to make this slideshow for the best of my ability I can do. I want to do it for you. I want to do it because I want this is a small part of the worship service, and I want to do it to share God's love and God's gospel with whoever attends this coming Sunday. And I realized as I started to do that, my, my attitude changed. As I was every Sunday now that I put in the, the words of the hymns that Gordon sends to me on Wednesday, I put in these, these words, and I'm singing along to them. I'm already preparing my heart for worship. It's almost impossible not to hum and sing along with these. I find in doing this a purpose that satisfies me. And I'm sharing that with you, not saying that I've achieved this high level of nirvana. I'm saying in, in the simplicity of centering around Jesus, I can take a mundane task and turn it into an act of worship and communion and love. And I love doing it for him. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about God. That's the shift. That's what takes us to a place of commitment. You can't commit when you resent God. You can't commit when you're dragging your feet and saying, I, I, don't, I guess I have to do this, but I don't really want to. There's no way you can commit that way. The only way you can commit 
is by genuinely wanting to do it. And that's why we saw 180 in the disciples after Jesus' resurrection, that they saw he could come through for them. And so they said, well, then we're going to come through for you, Jesus. We're going to go to every nation, every tribe. We're going to bring the gospel. We're going to live our lives self-sacrificially, even to the point where we're willing to die for you. That's how deeply committed we are. Because they saw Jesus do it first. And they wanted to do that in return. Psalm 37 tells us, sings about how wonderful commitment is and how it brings purpose and peace and satisfaction to our lives. So commit or quit. This is what God puts in front of us. God's way isn't the, be- the, the easy way, but it is the better way in all senses of the word. So try it this week. Commit to God and see how your life starts to change. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, right now, all all that's on my heart is just to say thank you for committing to us. That even while we were sinners, the Bible says you died for us. While we were sinners. While we hated you. While we disobeyed you. Lord, you were so committed to saving us. You put up with so much in your life here and on the cross for us. You were that committed to your creation. So Lord, we praise you and we thank you. Pray that you fill our hearts up with that happiness, that sense of just wanting to do something back in return for you. I pray that you lead us in your paths for righteousness' sake that we will please you and make you happy with our fumbling, bumbling attempts at living a righteous life. And Lord, that you may grow in us a more mature faith, that we will love others in your name, that we will bring peace to the church, and we will bring the gospel to those who need it. And all God's people said, Amen.